0: So there I was, a sophomore in college, living in Pennsylvania, and visiting a brand new church on a Sunday morning. And the people there were really friendly, the music was engaging, and it was about time to hear a message from God's word. And the pastor uh, got up, and I'll never forget the question that he began with, because not only did it set a new trajectory for my theological understanding of Jesus, but also my experience of him. And he asked this question. What subject did Jesus talk the most about? And I thought to myself, I got this. See, I grew up in Sunday school. I'm sort of like one of those elite Sunday school kids that knew all the answers. They had those games, Bible trivia, sword drills. Does anybody remember that at all? Okay. Well, you would not want to be against me on that stuff. No, just kidding. I did love that that kind of thing. Um, got really excited about you know Bible trivia and all that. And um, I was about to, I mean, take this softball question and just smack it out of the park, right? What did Jesus talk the most about? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. Well, clearly Jesus talked the most about love. But that's not what he said. He said that Jesus talked mostly about the kingdom of God. Now, this was sort of like before you could look things up on your phone, right? I had a flip phone at the time, but you could not access the internet. And so Snopes, things like that, was not available. As I'm trying to think about fact-checking him in my mind, so I cannot wait to drive back to my dorm, which is about 15 minutes away, to do a little fact-checking on this guy and sure enough, I get back there, I'm opening up the books, I'm looking at some commentaries, I'm looking at, at scripture and trying to, trying to see if this guy was right. And you know what? He was right. I couldn't believe it. I was dumbfounded. Here I was, a church kid, and I feel like he's asking a question like, what did Jesus talk the most about? It's like every Sunday school answer in the book. And there I am being shown something completely and entirely new. I learned that collectively Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God more than he talked about any other subject, including money, including love, including heaven, and hell. And Jesus talked a lot about all of those things. I can't begin to tell you how taken back I was to learn this fact. See, growing up in the church my whole life, it's like, how could I have missed this? Well, this set me on a journey to learn as much as I possibly could about the kingdom of God what was it? Where did it exist? Why was it so important? And and how did it involve me? And so as I began to think about that, I took a little bit of a journey. And and so um, even the past, you know, 10 years have been a journey to try to figure out what is this kingdom of God thing all about. And it's really got me impassioned. to Um, about Jesus' earthly ministry and what he talked about and how it involves us. I want to show you guys a video tonight by the uh, Bible Project team. They do a wonderful job at sort of explaining things in a really creative, fun way. And so rather than me trying to take the time to unpack what is the kingdom of God, I think we should just watch them do it so much better. So here we go.
1: which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results.
2: So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's
1: to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again.
0: All right, I hope that was helpful Um, as we think about the kingdom. um, I want to share one aspect of the kingdom of God that I think uh, has been uh, impactful for me over the last few years. By the way, if you, if you are interested in what the Bible Project is doing, they have tons of videos, really helpful, um, that illustrate like the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can certainly go back and find those. Um, they're really, really great. Um, um, I want to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, if you would, with me. Uh, we're going to look at verse 30 through 32. If you've got a phone Certainly, you can upload to to that, and we're gonna have it up on the screen as well. Um, I wanna talk about an aspect of the kingdom that really blew me away. Um, Mark chapter four, verse 30 through 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all of the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus often uh, used parables to teach. In fact, one-third of Jesus's recorded earthly teaching ministry was conveyed through parables. And this, Jesus's primary way of teaching and training his disciples was through what we might call story form. And a lot of parables speak to a a time and a place in which we are very unfamiliar with. And so we have to recognize even now, even as we're thinking about this kind of, this passage, how different their time must have looked from ours and, and the different ways in which they would have received some of the things that were being said and the audience that had gathered there being mostly Judean farmers. Jesus had been talking to crowds and he got in a boat and went out on the seaside, and, and uh, he, I think that scholars say that there was this sort of cool reverberation that, that would happen, and that's why he got out on the, in the boat to kind of stay away from the mob crowd that was gathered, because a lot of people were finding out about, like, Jesus and being touched by people, and, like, they would get healed, and um, so Jesus instead just goes out in a boat to teach them. He, he just wants to teach them, and so here they are in this group of people gathered around, and In the context of Mark 4, we first have to think of a world where supermarkets don't exist, right? See, if you wanted to live as a first century Judean farmer, you would have to put seed into the ground, and that's how you would get your food. That's how you would survive and live. That would be your livelihood. So first, Jesus is talking to this crowd with language that they can understand. He's being contextual, if you will. And he says that the kingdom of God is like this. He says it's like... A mustard seed. Jesus depicts this kingdom and likens it to the smallest of all seeds. There is a picture of one. A thousand of those are needed to fill up a thimble, a sowing thimble. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this seed, that when it's planted in the ground it grows up bigger than all of the other garden plants into a tree with branches that the birds can literally make their nests in. Sounds really nice, right? Except if you do a little research, you find out that mustard seeds do not grow to the size of trees. In fact, mustard shrubs don't actually get beyond four feet high. And the people around Jesus knew this very well. They were farmers, they knew about crops, and their livelihood depended upon these crops. So I'm thinking that either Jesus failed botany class or he's trying to do something very differently here. Could it be that Jesus is trying to make another point to them and to us? Could it be that perhaps he's saying that when it comes to the kingdom of God, we should expect the unexpected? Could it be that Jesus is reminding his disciples and us that in God's economy, there should be different expectations? That maybe Jesus is playing by a different set of rules altogether? Well, there's more to this parable. Not only did mustard seeds not grow into the size of trees, but in Jesus' day, mustard shrubs or plants were actually considered weeds. This is how Judean farmers would have thought about mustard shrubs. In fact, the Jewish Mishnah, which was a set of laws that the Old Testament Jewish people followed, actually forbade Jewish farmers from sowing mustard seed into their gardens because they were weeds and they were considered unclean. People would actually grow mustard seed shrubs elsewhere, outside of their gardens. But because first century Jews saw their gardens as their livelihood, they depended upon their crops to live, they would not have planted mustard seeds in their gardens. Now again, Jesus knows this. He was a trained rabbi who knew the law. He knew the Mishnah. But in Mark 4, he's saying that he actually wants them to take this this mustard seed, and he wants them to take it, and he he wants them to sow it into their garden. He's telling them to do this. And then he says to watch it grow. Like, as if it's not bad enough that he's already asking them to do this. He's like, and then I want you to watch it grow into the size of a tree where the birds of the air can make their nests in its branches and find health in its shade. Literally, he is asking them to plant weeds in the places that they would otherwise remove weeds as protection for their livelihood. It's sort of like if you're a homeowner with a, with a lawn that you're trying to keep up, which I tried this year and failed miserably at, um, it, 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 or if you are really like into gardening, if you have a garden, it would sort of be like um, somebody asking you to take a dandelion, that's sort of like reached its peak, right? And now it's just down to the seeds. And to take those dandelions, gather them up, and plant them in your gardens, and then to take them and put them in your lawns. And all the homeowners are like, no! <laughs> Scott's Turf Builder 3. That stuff is serious. Anyway, I found that out. It, it, dandelions grow back, though. It's crazy. I don't know. Um, but th- this is what Jesus is asking them to do. It's, it's crazy talk. Like, he... Imagine being these people, their their lives depend on these crops, and he's telling them to plant weeds in their garden. It doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus ask them to do this? Well, could it be that the kingdom of God has more to do with weeds than it does with a perfectly manicured lawn or garden? Could it be that in God's economy, the weak are actually made strong? The poor are made rich. That instead of using the powerful and the qualified, maybe Jesus wants to use the downcast and the rejected, the burnt out and the dried up. Well, still there is more to this parable. Mark chapter 4 describes this mustard seed growing into a tree, not a four-foot shrub, but a tree to the size where birds of the air can make their nests in its branches And oftentimes when we we see Scripture referring to the birds of the air, it does so in a negative sense. If you look elsewhere, sometimes it can be used to describe the Gentiles or the non-Jews or the outsiders and the unclean, especially during that time this parable would have been spoken, they would have understood. But Jesus does something very different here. He uses the analogy of the mustard tree to describe a shelter, and a safe haven for all the birds of the air, all the outsiders, all the rejected, all the unclean. And he says that all are welcome and all belong. I like to think of the faith community as being a space where you can sort of belong before you become. What do I mean by that? Well, I just want to expect that there are going to be people who gather here and in our groups during the week, who are not followers of Jesus. I just want to expect that. It sort of makes me excited to know that people gather who are not yet following Jesus. Perhaps even you're here tonight and you are not yet a follower of Jesus. And that's okay. We we have created, I think, a space where you can feel okay to be here, even if you don't have it all figured out, even if you haven't at, at any point said, you know what? I surrender myself and my life. Jesus is now my Lord and Savior. There's a space for you. There's a space for you to figure it out, to, to, to get on a journey with us. We do not have to have it all together to, in order to be a part of the tree. This is what I love about Jesus. He is, he's brought tons of people with him on this journey, and he's made space for all of them. And so we want to be a space, a community, a place where everyone is welcome. And no one is turned away. No one. A place where we don't have it all together. It's a place also where, this this might be maybe a newsflash for you, um, but we don't all have to agree. Can you believe it? We don't all have to agree to be in the same place in the same faith community. I love that. Friends, the mustard tree is big enough for everyone because there are no non-native species in the kingdom of God. All kinds of people are being invited to make their nests in the same tree. Here's what I've gathered in reflecting on this parable that Jesus used to describe the kingdom. The parable of the mustard seed presents each one of us with a choice. See, parables are never, they were never just told to present us with information or facts. Actually, Jesus gives us this information so that we can make a response to him, so that we can respond to what he's trying to say. And so the question is, I think, maybe a question, is sort of where are you being asked to plant mustard seeds today, this week? Seed left in a cupboard or somewhere else isn't gonna do anything. Where can your life be a little bit disrupted in order to see God's kingdom come? I wonder, as I think about our community, as I think about Elm City Church, I think about and wonder about what kind of trees will grow up in this community when that begins to take place. When our prayer is, where can I be planted? Where can I be used? How can I be part of this invitation that Jesus, you have for me? I wonder what kind of people will find safe haven within the community branches that we put out. Perhaps it's been a while, but I want to give an opportunity, I think, tonight for us to think about what it means to, again, partner with God, to partner with God in what he's doing among us. You know, somebody told me years ago that um, oftentimes we look so hard to try to figure out how can we do something for God. And it was just sort of like a light bulb went off in my head thinking, wow sort of arrogant of us to maybe sort of think that we're gonna like help God understand what he wants to do. And this person just said, well, why don't you, have you ever considered the fact that God may already be doing stuff that he just wants you to come along and partner with? And it was like a light bulb went off. It was like, wow, like God, where are you at work already in our world? Where are you at work in our community? And, and, and this is the second half of that prayer. The first is a question. The second part is a question as well. How can I partner with you in that? How can I come alongside you in your work of kingdom expansion? Sometimes we think it's all on us. Like, he's given us the keys to the kingdom, and now it's our job. He's got an expansion plan already happening. And he's asking us to be part of that. And I just get so excited when I see that video where I see the, the two circles overlapping in that middle space, the purple kind of space. I just get so excited about that because the pockets of God's kingdom coming and being manifest in our spaces in the earth. It's something amazing when God works in that way and we can see it and we can know it and and experience it. So are you willing to take the small, insignificant seed and sow them, the weed seed, if you will, into your life's garden, knowing that it might cost you something? It might cost you um, convenience, time, money, status, are you willing to look for where God wants to plant you so that He can work in and through you? So I got a couple questions to just to ask as I wrap this up here, and I'm sort of thinking like, as I was preparing this week, I was sort of thinking like, what, how can we respond to Jesus here, this parable? Because as I said, it's a parable is meant to be responded to, and as I was preparing and praying, I got this really strong sense that there are those in our community that um, maybe you've been doing the church thing for a long time and maybe you've sort of gotten kind of excited about like what God is currently doing in this community which I join you in that if that's you but I also get the sense that maybe there are some people that are here tonight that you're just spiritually tired you just feel tired You, you feel maybe sort of dry in your spiritual walk with Jesus and so the question would be, like: have you, do you feel tired, spiritually tired, and then have you maybe lost in that a sense, a little bit of a sense of expectation for what Jesus wants to do in your life, in, in and through you? And if that's you tonight, I would just want to encourage you to get some prayer after we're done here. Um, there's going to be people that just hang out afterwards and want to pray. One of the things I just felt really strongly was that maybe God wants to meet you tonight in a way that he hasn't met you in a long time. Could you make space for that if that's you and respond after, after our time of singing? One thing I want to leave you with, I, I sort of thought, you know, as I was thinking about this whole parable again and I've kind of looked at this quite a bit, but um, I, I got this really strong sense that Jesus was also saying something to the effect of the kingdom of God doesn't play by our rules. <laughs> it does not play by our rules. It's not confined to our sense of how it should work. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, doesn't need our permission to rule and reign in the spaces in which we inhabit. He does not need our permission to do what he's going to do. Sometimes I feel like we, we, we think that we give him permission or put him in a little box, and this is how it's got to be in order for you to work. And it's like he's saying, well, that's cute, but I'm Jesus, <laughs> And I'm going to do what I want to do. And and so I'm going to break in with my power in the ways I want to. And I don't need to be confined to your theological paradigm of it. But he invites us to partner with him in his own expansion efforts. I love that part of it because it's like sometimes it's just too weighty. Like, oh, I got to do all this stuff. I got to do all this stuff. And then it becomes like a workspace thing. And Jesus is like, nah, that's not me. That's not my kingdom. You don't need to feel that way. I've taken that weight on. I took that weight to the cross. I did all the heavy lifting for you. And now I'm just asking you to partner with me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.